Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Jerry Cuomo, Vice President of IBM's Blockchain Technologies. Welcome, Jerry. Good to be here, Keith. In this week's tech news, we all know how much trouble Apple goes through to keep everything confidential. And they had a leak, but the leak was none other than themselves because they had released the names of their newest iPhones before the announcement, which would have happened by the time we air the show. And the names of those iPhones are iPhone XS, XS Max, and XR. And how that happened is whoever was working on the Apple website to prepare for the launch had put those actual iPhone names embedded in files that they thought nobody else would see. If you ever wondered how much it costs to actually afford an iPhone around the world, here's the answer, and we'll do it in days. So the iPhone costs about $1,000 US, and the cheapest cities to afford an iPhone would be places like Zurich or Geneva or even Los Angeles, where the cost is about 40 to 50 people hours. But then you get into Mumbai or Cairo, and it costs over 1,000 working hours. I had talked a lot about hackathons. These are events geared towards prizes for you to develop software. And we had talked about Call for Code, which was a contest for natural disasters and disaster recovery. Lockheed Martin just announced that they're offering millions of dollars in a hackathon for drone wars. And this is not a joke. They are offering millions of dollars for people who can figure out how to fly drones without any human intervention at all. And they actually made a point to say that this would be a little bit premature to assume that it was for military purposes because there's so many more things you could do with drones without humans than using it just for military. It's going to be using the NVIDIA platform, which NVIDIA is a well-known maker of advanced chips. And I'll be sure to cover more of that later. And that's News of the Week. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm once again joined by Jerry Cuomo, Vice President of Blockchain Technologies at IBM. Jerry, so great that you're here with us. Wonderful day in California. Thank you. So, Jerry, yes, it's very sunny right now. Um, One question for you is, how did you end up from IBM New York to North Carolina? Um, I followed the first wave. I jumped on my Java surfboard, and I surfed my way down as the web was taking its form. And I was uh, part of some of the early work IBM did around e-business. And uh, I was in IBM Research, and I loved the work I was doing around languages and, and the like. But when Java came out and looked at how it can be used to transform the Internet from being purely informational to be transactional, where you can now on eBay you know, bid and buy things or do a bank transfer, um, that was the wave I caught to North Carolina uh, some 20 years ago. And uh, that's 
that's what took me from research to uh, product development. And I worked on a product called WebSphere and a set of offerings. I, I know WebSphere very well. I purchased a lot for one of my former companies and one of the great partners of IBM, Cisco Systems. So how does something, that experience with WebSphere, uh, lead into what you're known as now, like Mr. Blockchain? Yeah, so... Uh, as they say, I, I, I rose to my level of usefulness as the uh, from an engineer working on our Java application server to the CTO for our middleware business. And um, as the CTO from our, our middleware business and the, uh, you know, I don't know, through 2014, 15, um, part of the job was to go out and help find new businesses for IBM, especially as it related to software. And, and middleware and we were doing mobile technology at the time uh, one of my employees uh, came in and introduced me to ethereum okay and i knew what bitcoin was and ethereum was uh, at the time being talked about as bitcoin 2.0 and we very briefly you know had the mobile thought pass through mobile payment thought but once i really got my head around how the technology worked underneath Bitcoin and Ethereum, I was hooked. And, and uh, it, it led to a series of events. First, with a bunch of, I would say, uh, a volunteer army inside IBM. And then we organized in 2015 to create the blockchain unit in IBM. And the blockchain unit in IBM, is that, just for the listener, is that synonymous with Hyperledger or not? Uh, Hyperledger is part of it. I mean, we, we have... Um, a multi-prong approach to blockchain at IBM. It's, it starts with core technology um, and our the place to build blockchain for business and that's kind of the platform we stand on so to speak, that slogan which is not just a slogan, it's really embodied in software and that software is bred within the confines of the Linux Foundation through the Hyperledger project. There's one particular project that we're putting a lot of emphasis and energy on, although we participate in many within Hyperledger, is the Hyperledger fabric. And uh, we believe that embodies the principles of required for business to run blockchain. There are many companies contributing to Hyperledger across many projects. I think there's nine or more right now. And there's many institutions participating in the development of Hyperledger fabric. I know if uh, any of them would hear uh, that it was the IBM fabric, they would be very offended because they're putting a lot of time in. So the likes of State Street, uh, Cisco, Fujitsu, Hitachi, they're all contributing quite a bit to that code base. But uh, that's certainly the fuel that ignites um, our strategy, and we build a pretty rich blockchain as a service on top of that. And then we have a number of solutions that we're investing in that run on top of that platform. And also IBM itself, you know, no institution works by itself. And uh, we have several IBM business processes that are using blockchain. So full stack approach to blockchain. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, all your descriptions are great. I think when we talk about blockchain, what I really liked when you spoke about a couple minutes ago is people think still, the masses still think of blockchain as a cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. And what we do, the companies I'm involved with, and the projects like our Tulip Conference this past summer in San Francisco is really advocating blockchain as a core technology. And the story you have is very similar, right? It's that once folks, especially skeptics who are technical, look 
at the underpinnings of the technology itself. I mean, cryptography is not new. I, we, we, there's government contractors that's yeah. been doing it 30 to 40 years. So it's really good for companies like IBM to continue to demonstrate through example that the technology is real. Once yeah. we get through what I'll call the Gartner hype cycle phase of this, you know, we have the the trigger of innovation, and then 2018, end of 2017 was the trial of disillusionment. We're really now on this wave of readoption. Yeah. And I think the world, and certainly uh, us and IBM, we're indebted to the Bitcoin uh, mainnet and Ethereum for showing the art of the possible. And I think, you know, Bitcoin specifically is a very successful blockchain, use of the blockchain technology and design pattern. Um, when we looked at it, especially, you know, in, in 2014, um, we saw Bitcoin as one use case of a thousand. And, and Jerry, I'm going to pause you right there for a break, but we'll continue on the story right when we get back. So you're listening to Silicon Valley Insider. Join with Jerry Cuomo, VP of Blockchain Technologies at IBM. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I am your host, Keith Koo. Today, joined with Jerry Cuomo, VP of Blockchain Technologies at IBM. So the question of the week is a follow-up from last week's anniversary show where I brought up that originally our show was about technology risk and then it broadened out to handle innovation, fintech, blockchain, cyber risk, and investments. So the question is, what is an operational risk? Well, operational risk is a really broad category, especially in regulated industries like banks or healthcare, but it's something that's applicable to any company, just that you're not as regulated. So when we talk about technology risk, there's a whole lot underneath the hood there. Um, I'm going to focus today just on technology disruption. It's a broad category. It includes things like cyber attack, human error, aging hardware, your vendor or your third party having a service outage. All these things make up technology risk. And the area that I focus a lot on is making sure that an organization of any size has the right controls. So let me give you an example of a control. So one of the companies I went to work for, the sixth week I was there, they had a major data center outage, and they were becoming more and more of a SaaS software-as-a-service company. They happened to be uh, probably the largest small business company in the world, so imagine you are a small business owner and you're not thinking that you're regulated by the government. However, you don't have access to your books. That is a service outage. You're not able to take invoices. You're not able to take payments. That is a great example of what IT disruption means and that you need to have a backup for that. So again, whether you're a large company or a small company, IT disruption can happen to you, even if you don't think you're going to get fined by the government. So if you have any questions or comments, email us at info svin.biz, and that's the question of the week. In the first segment, we talked about Jerry's history with IBM, how he got 
interested initially uh, through his work with WebSphere into the CTO's office, and that led to a very similar story we hear from lots of technologists on how they got into blockchain technology itself. So, Jerry, right before the end of the last segment, and thank you for being here again. Oh, my pleasure. You were explaining about um, how Bitcoin was important to the adoption of the industry as a whole. So can you continue on with the story, please? Certainly. And, and when we looked at Bitcoin and certainly blockchain underneath it, we saw it as one of a thousand being, you know, figurative here, uh, use cases. And while that was an interesting, is an interesting use case, it's one. And we are certainly interested also in the other 999. And, you know, Ethereum started showing the art of the possible. And we fell in love with Ethereum at IBM and the programmability through the, uh, the smart contract engine and the world computer that it created. So um, the notion of blockchain um, with programmability, you know, I think about it in WebSphere terms as an app server. You know, how many applications could we build? Right. And so I got really, really excited. And, you know, for a while, uh, things looked well. We started talking to potential users, including IBM itself as a use case. You know, no business works by itself. We're no, no different than that. So we have many processes inside that touch other companies. So where can we use it? And we quickly found that what was good for cryptocurrency may not be great for the other 999. And, you know, built for purpose, the blockchain that sits under the Bitcoin and Ethereum technologies do a great job at powering that use case. But what was missing to power other use cases? That really intrigued us. And we quickly found four principles, four key requirements that we believed was missing from uh, the Bitcoin, the, the blockchain at the time. And those four, simply put, were accountability, um, privacy scalability and security um so quickly if i can run through sure accountability is about um being known to the network many business processes you have to you know conform to certain requirements gdpr is a big topic these days hipaa and healthcare um in the to pass audits the institutions transacting at those networks must be known so permissions this is where permission blockchain comes into play. So being issued a membership card that is, you know, cryptographically sound, you know, issued through, a, you know, a public and private key uh, from a certificate authority, a decentralized certificate authority, sets the table around accountability. Then privacy. So while you're known to the network, many business case, uh, business uh, processes requ- require privacy. Uh, maybe it's bilateral. Maybe it's there's through some local grouping that are, should only be privy to the information surrounding that transaction, so privacy. Um, next is performance and scalability. Bitcoin and Ethereum mainnets are designed for purpose to emulate cash, and there are certain principles around how trust is formed in that network that involves mining. Right. And then there's natural throttles that are put into the system so that, let's say, the organization with the biggest computer doesn't always win the election. Um, So that is not the case. There is no mining in an enterprise blockchain. We use consensus algorithms like uh, Byzantine fault-tolerant algorithms that don't require mining. With that plus permissions, you can just get right down to business. And we've seen transaction rates in the thousands, and that's growing all the time. So security and 
and uh, I'm sorry, perf- uh, performance and scalability. And last is is uh, security. Uh, simply put, an enterprise blockchain must tolerate faults. It must keep running like the Energizer Bunny keeps t- keeps on ticking, even in the presence of bad or sloppy actors. Chances are, in a permission blockchain, the bad actors will probably be fewer, maybe more sloppy ap- actors. So, but it, it it must keep on running. So fault tolerance is key and again that comes into consensus so these four principles were missing and someone needed to add them so jerry thanks for going through the four principles again accountability privacy scalability and security and it's how my world converged because i'm a both a technologist and an ex-banker and so the story with 2013 being a pivotal year for bitcoin is that um and we'll, we'll we'll save it for the next segment but the brief summary is, while the bank I was at, number two currently in the world, was looking at Bitcoin and really, really nascent as a technology and very fearful of Bitcoin itself in a sense of um, uncertainty, the te- underpinnings, the technology itself was something very exciting to us, yeah. and we started looking at it thoroughly. And also, when we get back, I want to actually dive a little bit more, because we've talked about solving for p- permission blockchains and how there's still this really large decentralized community and how IBM is addressing the bridge, because that's kind of how I view my own consulting work with Guardian Insight Group. All the four things you mentioned is very important from a risk management. Yeah. Going back again, accountability, privacy, scalability, and security, all very important. But when we're talking about blockchain, we have several different constituents. One is the crypto community, which is what we're not necessarily addressing today. And then it's the group that wants to adopt the technology, people that use IBM, as a vendor and also look at other solutions like Ethereum, like EOS, like delegated proof of stakes and other consensus algorithms. I'd like when we get back to talk about it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, with these four principles, um, you know, we try to enrich Ethereum initially uh, with it, but the code base lacked modularity. Yep. Um, lacked an open governance where there was a, a group that you can talk to and reason about it and also lacked... Um, um, the right licensing model. So we decided to build it from scratch. And when I say we, no company could build this in isolation, as I alluded to before. And that's where the Hyperledger project you know, was kicked off by 17 companies uh, through the Linux Foundation in 2015. So, so, so hang on, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Jerry Cuomo, VP of Blockchain Technologies at IBM. Again, you're listening to Keith Koo with Silicon Valley Insider. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. I'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. Today, I'm joined with Jerry Cuomo, VP of Blockchain Technologies at IBM. Hi, Jerry. Hello, Keith. <laughs> so for today's cyber tip, I wanted to talk about a growing threat called fileless malware. Now, we've done a lot of shows talking about cyber risk and security, the need for antivirus as table stakes, so you really can't do anything without at least having antivirus. But antivirus in itself is not enough. Uh, fileless malware is where it's not necessarily a virus. It won't be picked up by most antivirus software. This is an executable that hides in something like a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet. 
and it is becoming more and more common. So ways to prevent that, we have one company that we've had on a couple of times called Neotron. Their founder and CTO, Nir Geist, has talked about the ability to lock down this type of situation with the right type of protection. Neotron is one type of solution where they've actually mapped out all, in this case, Microsoft Windows APIs and protocols so that they can actually detect when, a, in essence, a behavioral anomaly occurs. But really, back to what this threat means, most people load their antivirus on the computer and they think that they're totally protected. And they're not. So if there's anything else you can think about, and there's other providers out there, is to be sure that beyond antivirus, you've got the right protections in place all throughout your business or your household. So this requires discipline, education, and really good computer hygiene so that you're not a victim. You also have to have a healthy paranoia as well as understand that a solution like Neutron is really a Windows-based solution. If you're running Linux, if you're running Unix, if you're running other operating systems, uh, you're still vulnerable for this type of attack. So always remain vigilant in anything you're doing online to be in the best position possible. And that's the cyber tip of the week. In our first couple of segments, Jerry talked about his history with IBM, how it led to 20 years back, starting up WebSphere, a very well-known middleware product that lots of companies, almost everyone used, and then how that led into what he's doing today, which is leading the blockchain effort at IBM and also his relationship with the Hyperledger fabric. So, Jerry, in our last segment, you're going into these four principles that were important for enterprises to think about and how they adopt a technology like blockchain. You talked about accountability. You talked about privacy and the relevance of GDPR. You talked about scalability, which are things that Bitcoin and Ethereum are not purpose-built to address. And then you talked about security. I had posed a question for you in the last segment about these are all great on a permission of blockchain, but there's still this decentralized community, especially with the launch of what we can say Bitcoin was a generation one blockchain, Ethereum was a generation two blockchain, governed blockchains like EOS is a generation three, and now something we'll talk about a little bit later um, trust and reputation layered on top is a generation four. Mm-hmm. Where does this all mesh yeah, with I, you? I don't personally see permissions, permission blockchains being uh, prohibiting decentralization. Okay. I mean, it does encourage uh, governance and and the use of you know proper organization principles to organize a network for a group to get together and decide what the rules are uh, of the network. But in the presence of rules, you can also have decentralization. And I think that's key. I I don't see necessarily a conflict. I think, you know, and I already see many large public permission networks out there. And, you know, every network that's created on Hyperledger Fabric you know, that runs on the IBM blockchain platform is a public network in a sense that it has a public IP address. And if you're, you know, if you receive, if you apply and receive keys from the decentralized certificate authority, you too can have access to that network. Um, so again, I, I think the two need not conflict. I think the issue is, is right now, many of these networks aren't listed 
you know, there's no um, yellow pages for these kinds of networks. So they're, they're, they're not listed, so they're not visible yet. Right. And I think, you know, we will see in short order public registries that start to list out what these networks do and what the rules are to join. And I think with that, as I said, I don't see that conflict. I think Hyperledger Fabric in particular is a wonderful tool set to use to build a large uh, public permissioned uh, network. I also believe that there's pragmatic ways to start. I think I hear grand use cases that, um, and I, I like to think of blockchain for good. You know, I think there are so many use cases that the human race have been tilting out for years, especially in this digital age, privacy and you know reducing identity fraud. I mean, these are things that can be run at now in a way that I don't think could be run at before. But um, it's not going to happen overnight. These are moonshots. The technology is there. It's evolving. I think the moonshot uh, will occur over time, but it's only going to occur based on the presence of an Apollo program. Okay. So there has to be a set of smaller activities that happen. And in the context of these smaller activities, again, working within a reasonable scope of a project, reasonable governance of the project, and reasonable incentives for, for organizations and institutions to participate, these things will grow up over time to be the big public permission networks of the future. So what would be your advice for companies to actually get started with what you just said? How do you plan for a moonshot on blockchain? Yeah, I think first is scope. I think uh, first you need to, uh, as a network founder, um, like yes, decentralized networks have to start with so a spark of a good idea. And I think a network founder is what I'll call that moment is of, of having a good idea. I think you have to dream big and you know, know what your North Star is, and that North Star should be tapping into the disruptive properties of blockchain. Um, but you also need to act, you know, the, the, the founders who actually get their networks off the ground act pragmatically, right? So it's starting with the right MVP, um, the right part of the problem to solve first and to build out first. And it's also starting with the right MVE, the minimal viable ecosystem. So you don't need to have everyone start on day one. You need, and I've seen networks start centralized and then decentralize over time. So they start off, you know, more as a dictatorship and then, you know, evolve into a, you know, democracy. I've seen projects start that way, but their North Star really sets the overall turn. So, so scope, number one. Number two is motivation. You know, there has to be, especially in a decentralized network, reason for someone to join, right? And ultimately, these blockchain environments become digital marketplaces of sorts where there's buyers and sellers buyers pay sellers get paid there, there needs to be the equivalent of mining there needs to be some incentive system within the network um, and then um, there needs to be um, op your, you, your rules the rules of the network need to be well understood uh, and those obligations and rewards specifically around how to participate in the network which leads to the third area which is governance, right? Uh, the, a, a, a network that needs um, a set of known rules. And usually at the middle of this, there is some kind of convener, a network convener that is helping like almost like the referee is coming up with the run rules of the network. And, you know, 
everything from coming up with the work groups to kick off your network, whether that's uh, uh, business, legal, technical, you get to understand IP rights. You know, again, it's a team sport blockchain. So if someone's standing up saying, I own the IP rights of the network, well, what does that mean? How is that network really going to grow? Right. right. So governance is key. So scope, you know, knowing your North Star, you know, moonshots, but Apollo programs starting incrementally. Uh, incentives, or what's the motivation of the network, the, the behavioral economic behind the network, uh, motivation, and then governance, right? How is the network, what are the run rules of the network? Knowing those three things and having a pragmatic view to those three things will greatly increase the odds of your blockchain dream coming true. Thanks, Sharon. I couldn't agree with you more. A lot of the advice our company gives as consultants to these um, folks who want to dive into blockchain, even companies that have already invested in blockchain, they miss one or two of these areas, right? It's really either they think they know the scope, but they don't really have the behavioral. People don't realize how much behavioral science is involved exactly. in blockchain. Yeah. Uh, the tokenomics or the cryptonomics, depending on where you're at, whether you're doing a public chain or whether you're doing uh, a permission chain, all these things, what's really important, and you hit the nail on the head, is the network effect involved in what you're doing. Otherwise, there's no point. And we see this all the time. There's companies who are doing blockchain just to say they're doing it with no understanding of the, why they're doing it. Yeah, and, and Keith, I, you know, I'm really privileged to, to sit where I sit because I get to see all kinds, you know. And when I hear blockchain is all hype, you know, I, I like to say blockchain for good. And, and there's two meanings to that, literally meaning it for good. Like we've talked about use cases around, um, you know, identity and food quality, et cetera. But also blockchain for good means it's here to stay. I, I do think there's hype around any new technology and blockchain certainly has its fair share of hype. But, but I do believe that um, what we're seeing here has legs and I see it every day. And again, um, it's really hot where I'm sitting. You know, I don't know if it's because you know IBM is under the lamps here and it's positioned itself. Um, so I do tend to see the live ones uh, more than not. And I see all kinds. I see big enterprises, and I see the balance in big enterprises. You know, the the trailblazers and big enterprises. And maybe right next door, I'll see a skeptic. You know, one enterprise I worked with where the CIO was all in on a set of cross-company blockchain, cross blockchain project, but the CISO basically stopped it and okay. said, oh, we're putting our company up, and, you know, there's a lot of risk here. But then I've seen companies like CLS Group, you know, very old company, New York, London, that they do, you know, uh, foreign currency exchange, how they're reinventing themselves with blockchain, right? So I see big enterprises of, of all kinds. So don't go away. We'll hear the end of my interview with Jerry, and he'll give us his thoughts on what he thinks is coming up very soon in the blockchain distributed ledger technology space, and it's very exciting. We'll also be talking about the just-released Humanity Project. If you have any questions or comments, email us at info at svin.biz, and we'll be right back. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to the show. I've got Jerry Cuomo, who's considered one of the pioneers of blockchain technologies, and he is the VP of blockchain for IBM. And this is going to be a really good segment where he's talking about what he expects 
is going to be coming down in the near future on distributed ledger and blockchain technologies, especially around something he's passionate about, which is self-sovereign identity and blockchain for good. I'm thrilled, Keith, to see the startups, especially here in the Valley, uh, adopting blockchain and, and working with IBM. The likes of True Tickets, which is really reimagining eventing and ticketing around blockchain, Secure Key uh, in Canada uh, around the verified mean network, around um, identity verification, um, Road Launch, Global Registry, Media Ocean, to see these startups um, kind of with their pragmatic thoughts of how to get their moonshot off one step at a time. I mean, I have my, the True Ticket app on my phone. They're on their third event right now. And, you know, what you see is this using the medium in very interesting ways. But when you look at it, it's pretty simple. I mean, many of these companies, there are certain design patterns, like using blockchain as a digital rights management system, uh, whether it's True Tickets, where the actual media is a ticket, and it's about the ownership of the ticket and using smart contracts to uh, kind of uh, dictate or rule um, where how that ticket should be managed like it should not be sold by you know for less than this or more than that so much of the ticket value has to go back to the originator of the ticket so whether it's you know rights around tickets or rights around your identity, right. your you know information that you would get in a driver's license or a um, or, or a passport, uh, with work we're doing with humanity, which is really looking at um, giving users back the rightful uh, right, which is you know the ownership of of your identity. And that's really big right now in terms of uh, blockchain for good, and people, especially with post you know, Facebook, Cambridge Analytica, and lots of data breaches that occurred in the last couple of years, this concept of self-sovereign identity. So humanity, you just mentioned, that that's a use case that they're trying to solve for. Yeah, yeah, certainly is. And and I think uh, with, with humanity, it's, it's they've picked um, Hyperledger Fabric as the permission block, core permission blockchain technology, uh, predominantly because of its flexibility um, to really help implement this digital rights management system um, on top of uh, a permission blockchain and also using the IBM blockchain platform as a worldwide platform to make it really easy for trust anchors in that network to onboard. Um, but they're going beyond just, um, not to say just, they're, they're building on the notion of self-sovereign identity, an ecosystem, right, where um, it's not just about the provider of identity, but it's also consumers and being able to set up a trusted platform so that, for example, I mean, I, I don't necessarily participate in many clinical trials, and mostly because I don't know which ones are, are going on, but both as a person looking to do good, you know, I happen to have high blood pressure, you know, I, I would love to lend out some of my personal data to help that, help other people like me. But also you can imagine a person in a situation like mine who may be having trouble making their health care payments, uh, insurance payments, mm -hmm. that if I can lend my data to a clinical style, maybe I can offset the cost of my health care. Sure. Right? So that, I think a platform like Humanity to start building out a, a two-sided ecosystem or marketplace for data providers 
where that data is in sole control of the owner of the data, but also providers in a way that you can exchange that information uh, for good. That's really awesome, Jerry. And with that, I think, what are some of the things that you are thinking on the horizon beyond what we're even talking about today? What do you think is on the horizon for blockchain for good? I think uh, a couple of things um, I, I see coming forward. And, and, and we're, this year, we're really starting to see the first founders come out of the starting gate with live networks. Um, and they are exactly that, they're networks. And in the term, there is a level of isolation. Like there's a network to do trusted food. There's a network to do um, you know, cross-border payments, trade finance. And I think that's a great way to start because you can. If you started to mix these up front, I think it would be an impossible problem to solve. But what I, th- what I see happening over the next six, nine, 12 months is that an institution participating in one of these networks could use their peer to also participate in another network. So, you know, blockchain being a peer-to-peer network, literally in Hyperledger Fabric, there's this thing called a peer. Sure. The peer being a gateway or a portal for an institution to transact and interact against across multiple networks. So this network of network effect, now that we're starting to see many of these networks come to life, the next logical thing is, I want to use both. I want to verify my identity on this network. I want to be able to you know, check the quality of food on a san- in a sandwich I just brought from this, this network. And I can start now building these mashup applications that leverage trusted information across multiple what we're calling networks, thereby creating this virtual network of networks. This is what I see coming. It's the, really the interoperability of blockchain. You know, you need blockchains before interoperability becomes interesting. But right. if thinking ahead one step, we're starting now to see the first founders go live. That's the first shoe to drop. The next shoe to drop is getting these networks to work together. Well, Jerry, with that, it's been an excellent time having you on the show today. Again, I was joined with Jerry Cuomo, VP of Blockchain Technologies at IBM. Jerry, I hope to have you back sometime. Oh, my pleasure. I hope to be back. Thanks, Jerry. So for any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svn.biz, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846, 888-828-SVIN.